Welcome to Women Make Science Fiction. I'm Amy Chambers. And I'm Lyle Skeens. And we're your hosts until they replace us with robots. Or men. Uh, so this week we wanted um, to look at some of the films that we've been watching recently that um, come around the theme of young women in science fiction um, and um, the sort of almost recent trends that we've seen in the dystopian finishing school um, of both uh, Level 16 and Paradise Hills. Um, that's a also now. want to talk, apparently, um, at the private school as finishing school as hellhole but i don't think that's probably that different from the reality <laughs> probably not um i wanted to have a look at this as well sorry my cat just jumps from the stairs above me onto the desk so that loud bang was rosalind um joining in um also wanted to talk about um a article that came out in time um, that was specific to women, women's horror films or women-directed horror films. Um, but I want to think about it more broadly around uh, women filmmakers and genre um, and whether genre filmmaking that is made by women is really about women's deepest anxieties and fears. Well, obviously, it's, it's all got to be identity, right? It's all got to be about the fact that we're women. It can't possibly just be um but then again i guess I think there's the, probably some truth to it i think if you're a filmmaker who has spent so long fighting for the opportunity to work in genre filmmaking um when you do being a woman becomes part of your package i guess to sell yeah i can definitely relate to that having been through some stuff for the last several years related to gender and gender identity and discrimination and bullying and yeah you do start to feel like everything becomes about that part of you that part of your identity so it makes sense that you would then go and make a work and it has definitely influenced my practice where now I don't want to make a work where there's a male at the center of it uh, which my master's novel was, and, and even my PhD novel, um, while my PhD was two uh, females, girls, um, uh, it, it was also a, a, a boy in the, this has gotten very off track, um, but my master's novel was narrated by a male uh, character and now I don't want to read anything with a male character. I don't want to watch anything with a male character. I don't want to watch anything directed by men. I am done. And so I can see where if you're making a film, um, you know, you're going to make it about your experience. We're it's talking here horrific, about, yeah. yeah, about reclaiming frames and, and projects like this one being about thinking through how we diversify the stories that we're telling um and the end product is to have more stories about women to have more stories about people of color to have more stories with characters who are not able-bodied but in order to get to that those groups almost have to push those narratives into the system and it just you end up becoming the person that has to create those whilst at the same time uh you're already fighting on that front it becomes a very personal story so i think maybe yeah. trying to separate yourself from that yeah um, it's like we needed and i hate to to at the moment put ellen forward as a positive example because apparently um working on her current show is a nightmare um but uh when she started her uh lgbtq narrative on television way back in the 90s and it was all, all gay narratives were always about coming out and that, what a big deal that was. And of course her narrative paralleled uh, her television series at the time, her character's narrative para, uh, paralleled her life narrative because she came out and her character came out and that was a really big deal. But you need that in order for there to be gay characters on television in order for people like Matt Bomer who are openly gay sorry i'm obsessed with matt bomer right now um <laughs> who are openly adorably gay oh, uh 
legitimately and you know no problem paying playing straight men playing gay men playing whatever straight men playing gay men in the in the reverse all of it now it's it's fine you know we don't mind or I, at least i hope we don't mind uh, but we needed her story first that was all about her identity uh and that in order to get to the point where we are now which still isn't perfect but it's better and not so much about identity yeah yeah but i think a lot yeah no, I, it's a lot to think through because we we're now at the point where we've watched quite a lot of films directed by women in quite a concentrated space and the the dominant narratives are around around women's experiences but is that because we are two women watching science fiction that we know is directed by women would we have had those same responses if we have not known who it was directed by yeah i mean i can kind of compare it i mean a film i think you know having watched uh paradise hills and level 16 and evolution and um the one on the boat the irish boat sea fever sea fever i'm not good with titles sorry y'all um <laughs> it, you know it they're very much you know, they're written by those directors, they're created, they're very tightly wound into those directors being who they are. The more studio films like Deep Impact and, and Tank Girl, uh, the, the identity there is an undercurrent. I think Tank Girl was a lot better at doing it than um, Deep Impact. Uh, and Aeon Flux is the other example. Yeah, exactly, where it's like, there's like nothing about being a woman in terms of identity there apart from the question about pregnancies it was, it was very there's some, I, I it's one of those ones again like tank girl where i would have loved i would love to maybe and maybe as part of this project i will get to access or look back at original script materials if they're available if they're archived as of yet or if i'm able to get a hold of them through the women producers who worked on these projects and actually see what the original intended intended narrative intended film was versus what came out of the studio system process um because both Talele and Kasama talk about this sort of like passion for those projects and then a, a sort of disconnection from them in in their sort of release because it wasn't the film that they had put their life into for that that period of time um, and having that disconnect from something that's got your name plastered all over it I mean women directors don't have that same plastering that goes on with male directors in terms of of how those movies are sold but there's definitely still a use of the director's name as a way of sort of thinking about how who created and authored this and then once you start to unpick films like Aeon Flux where you get to see that actually the director has lost that sort of control over the creative process and stories about her not being about Kasama not being left alone with the editor um, so that she couldn't sort of change parts of the movie it, it just sort of sounds so controlling and so problematic as a way of making a, a film very patronizing and it's this sort of like lack of trust in women's perspectives experiences and choices within that genre that within genre filmmaking that has been so tightly controlled and represented by men white men specifically exactly well and i think that's why the independent films feel more i mean obviously it's why they more, feel more cohesive but feel more like they're all about that identity is because you have that creative freedom to do so you know in in making you know in writing the the novel that i currently am writing i you know it's all about women and women's experiences in different uh story worlds the the actual research novel i'm writing not the the crazy novel about oh, the cats, cats one on star okay. trek um just checking <laughs> Like, the cats one is just fun um but uh but you know the the seven sisters novel that i'm writing it, it's all about women and women's experiences because a i wanted that and i wanted to have a dystopia where 
it isn't all about just women being raped and killed and then sold as slaves because that's really exhausting and we already know that that's not actually necessarily what happens all the time sure violence reigns but you know it doesn't need to be the way you define your women characters exactly so so yeah so i totally appreciate um the difference between that and some of my other projects where it's not about me writing a narrative that i just want to write as an artist it's about writing something for a purpose for a specific audience to communicate you know a bit of science or a health lesson or something like that and so it's it's divorced from that identity uh so i think that's maybe where the 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 notion that some of these films are all about women's torture and suffering and experiences and anxieties and insecurities that's where that comes from because when we get the freedom to make things about that that's what we want to talk about because those stories haven't been part of those narratives the complexities of those stories um it doesn't end up being a fridging incident where the attack or violence against women is motivation for a male character instead those experiences are motivations and part of the stories of the women on screen um i think we spent a lot of paradise hills and level 16 and that sort of like heightens anxiety that something is suddenly going to happen to one of those girls where they're going to be that they're going to be raped and i think that is one of the ones that i came back to especially with paradise hills when we realized that the women are being drugged in their sleep and and the orderlies are all male yeah and the orderlies are all male carry them out in these like victorian night shirts and they're and you're going oh oh no oh this is some girl interrupted and, like ooh. and they're also in those it's the the um the orderlies costumes are very similar to the costumes um in the bellows of westworld so um felix in westworld the um asian american character who gets involved with uh tandy newton's character who is called Maeve. Maeve, thank you um he's in that sort of like um same vinyl outfit and Mm the story around them turning off and turning on the um the hosts from the park there is this underlying story that the the orderlies are raping these uh robots and the the ethics surrounding these uh figures and there's there's running jokes about uh what they do to the nubile bodies of the hosts when they are fixing them um, and the assumption that if Felix is alone with Maeve, that there's going to be that type of contact. I mean, obviously, their story is to do with disrupting that narrative and her manipulating him and him being interested in Maeve as a as a character, as an individual, rather than seeing her just as a as a as a body, as a host. It's a blatant. And I think we're sort of almost trained into that idea of of this sort of when women are out of control or or literally turned turned off or drugged that what's going to happen to them is going to be our worst nightmare that in that moment where you can't control something that that someone will take that sort of ultimate it's attack it's a on your latent representation of rape culture uh, so the rape culture that has fraternity brothers you know roofing girls and then doing what they want and then posting scores to scoreboards yeah. and things like that where you're you know i just finished reading um deadly waters and i can't remember who the author was uh but it was basically about an american university campus in which that sort of thing was just commonplace. You just got used to covering your drinks and taking your girlfriends home if they'd been roofied. Uh, and the notion that that these, you know, that like the Brock Turners of the world, that there's no consequences at all for these boys who do these things. Uh, and frankly, and it's men, normal. And they that's... are over 18. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's normal. That... 
part of rape culture. And, yeah. and for both watching uh, Paradise Hills and Level 16, you expect that to be the underlying story. And I think what they, yeah. they both do is disrupt that in the sense that, that you have these women villains. So uh, you have the Milia Mjokovic um, Duchess as your villain in um, Paradise Hills. And she is this sort of like motherly, sisterly figure who then literally turns out to be the flower vampire monster woman. See review earlier for my feelings about her. Yeah, that was <laughs> eventual <a> um, <laughs> revelation. <Reveal. laughs> um, uh, but she's quite an interesting character, and to have your sort of main antagonist character actually being um, a woman is really interesting. And then you have Miss Brixel, played by Sarah Canning, in level level sixteen who, as I spent the whole of the Twitter just going, she's so beautiful. Look how lovely her hair is. Oh, look at those shoes. And I was completely besotted with her. And then constantly coming back to this idea of, of actually she's this sort of figurehead for the, for the company. She is the villain of that piece, even though she sits in that role as a caretaker for those girls in that school setting it's the sort of uh, old woman as caretaker as and taking on all of those roles in a house mother sort of but way i think that that is i think that's something unique that we're getting from these these women film directors and filmmakers and storytellers is that that's a figure that almost only women will recognize that figure of the senior woman, the more experienced woman, the caretaker, the mother, the sister, but who has bought into the patriarchy and that's how she's gained her success. And so she's actually going to punish you more than a, a man in her place who at least is, you know, at least you know where he's coming from. But the women in those roles is, it's a betrayal, it's traitorous, it's unexpected. And at some point as you grow up, you, everybody experiences this. I know I have, you know, in that the people who punished me the most for speaking out against sexist behavior were women. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, as Madeleine Albright said, uh, there's a special place in hell for women who don't support other women. And... I haven't come up with a term yet for those women. I, I can think <laughs> of very many nasty things to call them, but that's what this figure is, is that, that traitor, that, that woman who earns her special place in hell because she is absolutely betraying every, in these movies, girls, every girl in her care. She is worse than, I mean, <sighs> I think it's why I didn't want the Duchess. I, I didn't need the Duchess to literally be a monster yeah. because I think she already was. And what made her scary was that sort of, was that veneer, that presentation of control and feminine perfection. She wears the like uh, gone with the wind style, massive dresses, this very elaborate presentation of femininity. And Miss Brexel, again, with this Vivian Lee hair, she looks like she should be in a black and white movie from the 1940s or 50s with these beautifully tailored suits and the Louboutin shoes. It's a, Which makes it's a very clear. They named look. all of the girls after starlets from the 50s. Yes. You know. I, and and so she is that perfect representation of femininity there and to find out that she's you know s stealing their faces not only for paying customers but for herself is it, it is monstrous yeah um and i think she is as equally as monstrous as the duchess but the Duchess literally becomes a monster, which I I, I, I just felt didn't need to happen. I think it. Um, but then what what was their purpose of being there? I kind of like the fact that they send back. They had to kill them off, but it, it was quite an elaborate way of killing off uh, the originals um, before they sent out the replicants. I liked a lot of the ways that Waddington um, incorporates references to classic science fiction and a lot of the stories that she tells about 
in interviews about getting interested in genre filmmaking are about her mother interestingly showing her Blade Runner and there's a sort of the use of the term replicants which really only happens in the sort of like paratextual secondary material not in the actual film but that's sort of engaging with that that sort of history of science fiction there is the clear references to a clockwork orange in the aversion therapy um except placed in a a twisted fairy tale way this sort of like aerial um carousel horse it was so bizarre let's chain you to a carousel horse lift it to like cathedral ceiling height and then do the like the imax surround of you know either this is what you'll be if you don't conform or this is how magical it'll be if you do like why the horse and why the height and it looks awesome (laughs) (laughs) it does look great i just think i feel like she explained it to a production designer and they just went cool it's what we do on a Vogue shoot. It just be, I think that there is that sort of um, element of her as a fashion photographer, that sort of abstract um, presentation element that I find really interesting. That fashion photography, for all of its issues with um, post-production and women's bodies and, and presenting a particular image of beauty, if you look at some of the photo shoots that are produced for the major magazines, they are really creative pieces considering it's about technically it's about selling clothes and a lifestyle they're often really beautiful um and i think the fact that every time you sort of happen upon the duchess she looks like she's just in the middle of a of a sort of cover shoot there's that one where she's wearing the white dress with the pink roses all over it and she's across a stairway surrounded by roses and then uma's in her very constructed sort of little school uniform type thing um, and it just looks like it's a setup for a photograph, and actually, it's just another part of a very interesting visual texture in terms of the fact that it looks a lot like it's a setup for a photograph. Yeah, <laughs> and absolutely. then it takes place. I, I think that there is a lot there in terms of how she works with her own experiences as a photographer, as a, as someone who's worked in the background of filmmaking as well. And I think it makes her a really interesting filmmaker. Um, I can't wait to see what she produces in the future, um, that sort of capacity to be able to design those spaces and those um, images that sell as frames as well as film. I think you could stop at any point in that movie and you'd get a pretty picture. <laughs> right, yeah. It, it very The visual design was absolutely stunning on Paradise Hills. I mean, it was stunning on Level 16 too in a very different way. Uh, it was that very, you know, like Russian brutalism sort of Russian way. brutalism, 1984 uh-huh. look of, of, you know, we can't see the sun because we, you know, as you find out the, the UV rays will damage the skin that they're looking to harvest. Uh, so no sun, only certain food, they have cleanliness so they don't get any infections or have any blemishes and, and things like that. And it's, so that is is very dark and grim as opposed to Paradise Hills, which is sort of uber feminine in, in trying these trappings of femininity, trying to force these girls to, and the interesting thing is that there's two levels to Paradise Hills, right? There's the notion that they've been sent there they know why they've been sent there they know they've been sent there to learn to conform and all of it is a mask all of it is window dressing the the up on the carousel the clockwork orange uh aversion therapy the the going to the salon and getting the proper hair all of it is window dressing because in the end all they're really doing is is creating a, a replicant version that they're harvesting data from them before they <laughs> yeah they need so to get rid of them it's and likewise there's that there's the notion for the the girls in level 16 that they are you know in training for something to be perfect for something and in the end they don't care anything about the girls they can't even read their own names we find out 
because why would they ever need to? We just, you're just here for leather, essentially. Uh, and it remind me of the, the girls, the young girls in Handmaid's Tale as well, in the adapt in the, the TV series where you have these young women who are being trained to be wives and they are young girls who have not they they've been born into gilead they have been trained through that system they have drunk the kool-aid they are part of the the process and they are there to be bodies to be vessels for the future not to be individuals um and you get that contrast then in Paradise Hills where it's literally replacing them and, uh, and, and sort of getting rid of those, that education, getting rid of that um, identity and personality that has made them undesirable within this future um, world. Um, what I liked about Paris Hills is that it does criticise gender roles and it does criticise uh, sort of clear separations in terms of gender and, and what we are expected to be and do whilst also not seeing these qualities as something weak and childish they, they're sort of their femininity and their womanliness is not something that is being rejected and it is also not shown to be weak as well and i think the fact that those women are not they don't need to be saved but they have a, they have been brought up in a different way from the girls in eleven sixteen who have been brought up in a completely different way. They've not been brought up with education that's then sort of given them thoughts, thinking, yeah. heaven forbid, ideas. That girls and women have thoughts, and and I mean that's the thing is is each of these films is a is a microcosm of a patriarchal society, right? In that we don't want you know i've i've been to weddings so i went to this is a i'm gonna go off down a tangent here um in my 20s i attended a, a wedding don't ask me why i went i shouldn't have um of uh, one of these sort of extremist uh, born again christian sects um and i was friends with the the bride and she had met her groom through the church and uh during the entire ceremony my my very lesbian friend sitting next to me had to kind of sit on me to keep me from like charging the aisle and being like nope 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 we're not we're not doing this because it was all about how much how sinful their mothers were and how they had to separate from their mothers in order to find the joy in their union uh and then it was all about how the woman could never find God uh, directly. She could only find God through her husband. Uh, and so he was like her Pope, <laughs> you know, the only one who could speak to God. So, and then if there were any problems in the marriage, it was her fault. Uh, she would have to work on it. It was never his fault. So she could only find salvation in her particular religion through her husband. I was like, wow, this is a massive way to set her up for abuse for her to feel like anything that is a problem is her fault, for her to be completely trapped. It's absolutely, you know, and my friend did have to sit on me to keep me from interrupting the whole thing. I was like, she was like, no, you're not. <laughs> but I was like, how can you sit for this? How, how can you do this? Because this is just one instance in what society as a whole, you know, from dress codes in schools, which we see in both of these films, telling girls that they're the problem, um, that they're the distraction, that their bodies have to be policed, uh, to, you know, these religious teachings, you know, be nice and quiet, accommodating, be flexible. Men are, you know, women are the more emotional, but somehow men are allowed to be feckin' angry all the time. Mm. Um, you know, all of these things and which feeds right into rape culture, which is what were you wearing? You know, were you drinking? Were you alone? How late was it? You know, all of these sorts of things. Were you asking for it? Had you agreed earlier and now you're backing off on it? Oh, you're just a tease, yada, yada, yada. All these things. It's always the blame falls on the woman. And so we're always the ones who have to learn to conform to society. And so these films are just representing our society in this really compressed 
faction, but even Paradise Hills. And I think the reason, like, I want to, I want to say the reason that uh, the director of Paradise Hills chooses to make it this extreme fashion, apart from the fact that she's a fashion photographer, this extreme um, fashion plate of a film is to say part of what we force girls to how we force girls to conform and how we force them to be what they want we want them to be in our society is through this extreme presentation of femininity you can never achieve this you can't possibly achieve it is what paradise hills says uh we're gonna make you feel bad about that for continually failing to achieve this ideal notion of femininity and womanhood and then we're just going to kill you anyway <laughs> and replace you with someone who just wants to be rich and is happy to take your face in order to do so. That's the interesting thing about the, the fat woman character in Paradise Hills, that she, Chloe, that she is this accommodating, sweet girl. And she is, the character is this very sweet uh, woman who cares about people who want to be good, but her body won't do what her parents want it to do. Um, and it's not her failings in this are purely based around her body. Whereas the other characters, it's their personality or their sexuality or something um, else. Um, but with her, it is, it's almost solely focused on her body and, and almost the sort of skinnier version of her that comes out doesn't look like her it isn't really her anymore and they um, don't care no because that body that she has inhabited for her whole life has become part of her identity and so to strip that away from her even if she is a sweet person a good person underneath that will get lost the replicant that goes out will not be chloe um but this obsession with a, a body that doesn't fit into the ideal of what um, a body should be and what you should look you should look like the skin of the girls um in level 16 becoming it's not that they're just being taught to keep clean because it will retain the skin they've set it within a philosophy of cleanliness of good girls are clean girls and and all of the assumptions that go with that in terms of virginity in terms of education in terms of ideas that sort of idea of purity and innocence the sort of innocence is bliss idea that if you don't have knowledge and you don't have understanding and you can't read and you can't explore that you will be that clean slate that society yeah. wants of you that's why they take away say. the reading in in Handmaid's Tale, that not being able to read as this sort of like major um, component, taking away books and the act of reading, even fiction is considered, you know, you're expanding your mind, you're becoming a, a more developed person, but it then makes you dangerous. Well, sure. Uh, I, mean, I went to a talk yesterday. Slate. Yeah. Go for it. Went to, a, went to a talk yesterday, uh, virtually obviously, um, on, uh, that mentioned Jane Austen and this sort of idea around um, the education of women and you, you should be educated enough but not too educated and well-read enough but not too well-read and if you become a Lizzie Bennet you then become a bit dangerous because not only are you educated but you also articulate the thoughts you have learnt from your extensive reading. Um, and that's what makes her that sort of difficult character within that is that she is educated, she is well-read, and therefore she's not going to stay within the confines of that particular Absolutely. world I mean, that's been built around her. Society, our, our Western society, and I would say almost our global society, has created this dynamic where, like you said, people... I would say men and women want girls to be these clean slates. They want them to be moldable and transform. I mean, it's why we see so many older men going for younger women, um, not just because of the sort of nubile attractiveness of the younger body, but because they can be 
molded and shaped and and sculpted into whatever ideal it is that the man wants um which is and it's it is a different you know people always say oh well it's no different if it's an older woman and a younger man and i i patriarchy it it is different (laughs) yeah absolutely it absolutely is different um because the the boy the man in that situation has not been culturally trained to conform to do whatever it is that his elder i mean you look at ashton kutcher and demi Moore. Uh, do we think that that she completely molded and shaped him in the same way that say tom cruise did katie holmes it's not the same um and so that's the difference there and that's why the the older male and the younger woman are is such a gross combination that's also where level 16 is interesting because what i thought was going to happen when we sort of got into it and you realized that this was a factory of, of, of sorts you get that sequence where they're sort of um sedated and laid out in their dresses with their little name the label across their middle and the showroom and i thought is the showroom going to be a stepford wife type thing are they going to is this a personality transplant science fiction where they're going to take these young nubile bodies and transplant these older women into the younger bodies um and i i was like because the comments that he was making about them were very uncomfortable were very sickeningly creepy and you realize that he's actually just talking about the skin on their faces and on their bodies not them at all he's not selecting a new body for his wife he's selecting a new skin (laughs) but he's retaining his wife it's not like stepford wives where they they retain the outer shell but they wipe out the the sort of um feminist woman because that's the stepford wives one is these sort of like liberated women um they look nice on the outside but they're filled with all of these ideas about uh equality and um rights and i think that's where stepford is really interesting in its original release and the original adaptation and i thought that's what this was going to be i thought it was going to be a stepford and in the end it's about selling skin which is also why it's the classic hollywood names Mm. fit in so well um you've got rita and clara and hedy and audrey Mm. and grace and veronica and greta and may all of these names um which are also coming back into fashion at the moment (laughs) (laughs) um these women who were part of a studio system that literally commodified them and controlled them to represent the studio of this perfect idea of a starlet um and again if they deviated from that they were discarded they didn't fit into the mold of what the system wanted uh hence lena lamont and her voice and I can't um, and the, <laughs> and the need to hide that part of her that doesn't conform to what's going on. And I think there's, I, th- I thought that was a really interesting bit of level 16. It's a bit tacky, but that's because we're massive fans of 1940. I, I know my 1940s stars. So, but I think as a sort of part of that movie in terms of making that comment about how not only society as a, as a whole but the film industry has often been part of this perpetuation of this idea of, of women of youth of women of of whiter skin of um whether that's passing characters uh, like in pinky or if it's um the rejection of diversity on screen but there were young girls of color in level 16 well sure it was still you're quite have diverse some wealthy women who want yeah. It's, yeah but they were definitely in the minority it was still very much mm-hmm. uh, uh it seemed to suggest that it was white women who were looking for that primarily um, yeah fun mm. <laughs> um so i think one of the comments that you gave at the end of watching level 16 uh was this idea of it being about 
women's pain and women's fears and that's what made it a particularly interesting film because we'd watched it the the week after we watched Paradise Hills and I was in love with Paradise Hills um uh, even with the um vampire flower monster lady at the end twist um whereas level 16 I found really a almost repetitive and difficult but not necessarily in a way that made it less enjoyable for want of a better term because it wasn't really a film where I came out going that was fun I enjoyed that that was super I liked it um but it did make me think whereas I think you had a much stronger reaction at the end of level 16 in terms of thinking about how it could be seen in terms of this representation of women's fears and anxieties which is why I, I, I found that time magazine uh so interesting because it brings all those fears together into this sort of isolated story world which is literally a bunker hidden under somewhere in Russia possibly yeah I think I think it was just that as as the film played out it's like it was it was like she was trying to pack in every single thing that we're scared of uh you know um in addition to like our own personal body insecurities because the whole reason for level 16 is women's insecurities about getting older note that they did not have an equivalent for the men there wasn't a boys camp level 17 wasn't the boys who the, the men were going to take over their skin so there's that insecurity already built in but it's things like being drugged it's things like um which you know in and of itself uh, you notice that in both these films the roofing is literal roofing they are all drugged to sleep at night through their food um and that i think is is a very feminine way of looking at it um you know we talk about when when women are violent or when women are killers women are more likely to poison um because it's a non-violent way to do things and so the fact that they're being poisoned and that's you know so many of us get roofied and and, and that sort of thing um is is that's that violation of trust that the the one thing that is supposed to sustain you and nourish you and that there's all these you know have you got the right vitamins and have you know it's always about eat your special diet right because paradise hills everybody has a special diet just for them um so you sort of trust that it's good for you and when it's being used to drug you into a stupor so they can do whatever they want with you during that time uh is not only that obvious fear of being roofied but that absolute loss of control you are nothing but a body to them um it doesn't matter who you are what you think you're you're a sex doll for all intents and purposes and so i think there's there's that fear in there um you know there's fear of violence uh there's fear of i forget what i i counted all the different things you it, we we had fear of aging beauty being abused being raped pure purity and cleanliness um and we talked about the fact that the excessiveness of level 16 was what made it effective um, and the fact that the film ends with this really disturbing element of self-mutilation as freedom. So mm. Vivian, the sort of lead girl character, in order for her to escape her fate as, as, as skin, for, skin. Rich, for, for someone else, <laughs> um, she cuts her face. Mm -hmm. Which also but, is, I mean, that's an ultimate sign because, right, don't we portray so often in particularly in films that anyone with any abnormality or scar on their face is deformed or ugly or why would you you know you grow up with this notion i mean and disney does it too that that to have any sort of disfigurement is death for women they might as well die because they're not whereas on a man anymore. it's it's character and yeah exactly <laughs> something that because we've been watching the adaptation of the Cormoran Strike uh, books because it's got um, a beautiful man playing Cormoran Strike uh, who he has a scar or a cleft palate 
the mm-hmm. actor who plays him um and it almost makes him more his face more interesting but that's because we've been trained almost to think that it's going to be um that that sort of like uh physical change to a face is something that shows character and and beauty in a male character whereas for a, a woman that would be something to be ashamed Horrific. of yeah i mean even just the comparison you look at like uh robert redford and brad pitt who both have very significant facial scarring from from acne um fine uh but cameron diaz who has also been upfront about the same thing has to be under makeup there's there's no not having an appearance of makeup for women on film and tv there's just you just can't do it i mean even the most natural in some of these dystopian texts you're like really in the apocalypse you're still putting on some bb cream and foundation (laughs) no um and and it's because we just simply can't see women unless their faces are perfect and the number of of you know westerns and shows where like uh you know i'm thinking back to westerns where like if a a, a sex worker in a western you know would have in a bar brawl or something or a customer had had scarred her face she's done for she can't Mm -hmm. even earn a living as a sex worker because her face is scarred and so there's that representation that you can't even sell the rest of your body if if there's something wrong with your face um and you know i hate to break it to the world but most of us have something wrong with our faces uh and whether it's scarring or who knows your teeth or your eyebrows or your hairline that's defined according to your your periods ideas of what beauty exactly um looks like and i think yeah i think level 16 was really interesting i think because it had the more independent cinema look and after we'd watched um paradise hills which was a netflix slash sort of studio more studio but not as studio as some of the other studio productions that was very clear maybe well done lots of studio studio were they made by studios studio um whereas level 16 has that feeling of being more independent but in that allows for that story to take place i feel as it was imagined and it's not been sort of stripped of um the intentions of the filmmaker um so yeah i really enjoyed i, I was really surprised at how much i enjoyed for 16 um yeah, i did i enjoyed it because i didn't know anything about the the film beforehand and obviously um Danishka um Esther Hazy the only thing I knew about her was that she directed on Vagrant Queen which frankly was an excellent uh calling card for me because I really loved the visual style of that and the excessiveness of the visual style because it, we she, love it I don't know um say Vagrant Queen um hey, and I think queen. hashtag I think that it was yeah I, I it's a good piece of filmmaking that won't get seen by enough people because it doesn't come through the system process it will get lost in the same way that we've talked about sea fever being released in the midst of a pandemic when actually that is a film that could have done really well on a massive on on a a national release especially in the uk as a as a irish um film with a recognizable set of stars behind it and it just sort of gets lost almost to the uh, straight to the, the video on demand right um, i mean you look system. at something like sea fever which was great good stars entertaining did something unique interesting well made visually lovely you know all of these good things and then that that's released straight to streaming services and then you look at the irishman because it has a well-known director i can't tell you how much i don't want to watch the irishman <laughs> um because you know because of the director and because of the subject matter and all that uh and yet which one gets more gets talked about more and will get more income and get more recognition it's going to be that one uh so you know that alone is a difference that is yucky (laughs) (laughs) to be purely academic about it it's yucky and i don't like it 
uh, yeah. I mean, and I'm think I was thinking too when we started talking about this. Um, you know, talking about these horror films and the Time article about women's horror being all about women's identity and the feminine identity and and women's anxieties and fears. You can't. It's interesting to to contrast that with some of the women directed uh, television and women created television. So we've talked about Emergence and Vagrant Queen and Killjoys and how some of the themes uh, definitely can be related to that identity, but less so. And I think it's because they're not a one-off, you know, not a yeah. one-off film, um, and they have to kind of keep going and, and appeal to a wider audience for a longer period of time. And you can develop those lead female women characters over a, a stretch of a, a series, Whereas you've got to get, you've got to sell them in a different way if it's in a movie. I think that the television format is really different in terms of how gender identities and uh, the stories that we tell about them shift, because it 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 doesn't have to be about women. It's the just there idea that I've I've talked about when I've talked about um, discovery. This idea that queer um identities and relationships shouldn't have to be the story for those characters it should just be there we should just have women in positions of power especially in science fiction where we're imagining futures uh, the story doesn't have to be about how that woman raises herself to a point of uh, power it can be about a powerful woman that is there and her story emanates from that position not building to it or explaining how she how she got to that particular um point so you get characters like Janeway who is that first lead of in the Star Trek franchise having their own sort of like series that they are the prominent the dominant character um but she doesn't necessarily get the background story that a lot of the later uh women will receive um yeah, I'm going to stop there before we go into a discussion of the, the Star Trek universe, and because obviously this week they released we details about the first non day. non-binary character and trans character joining the Discovery story world. Um, but we will probably save that for another day. Yeah. Um, so thank you very much for joining us for this episode of Women Make Science Fiction, um, and hopefully we'll see you again soon, unless they replace us with robots or men. 